This podcast episode is brought to you by the Outcomes Rocket Network, where you get your healthcare insights from the most inspiring healthcare podcasters. By building a platform to share challenges, network, and thoughts from leaders, the LabOps Leadership Podcast is elevating LabOps professionals as well as the industry as a whole. With the intent of unlocking the power of LabOps, we deliver unique insights to execute the mission at hand, standardize the practice of LabOps, their development, and training. Welcome to the LabOps Leadership Podcast. Hi, good morning. I'm Krisha. I am part of the LabOps Unite uh, leadership team, and I'm excited to have this podcast done with Jay and Samantha. Great, Krisha. Thanks so much. We're excited to have Jay Stella, Senior Vice President of Corporate Strategy at Akuos. Great. Jay, thanks for joining us today. My pleasure. It's great to be here. Thank you awesome. for having me. Yeah, no problem. So just to start off, can you just tell us a little bit about your background and how you got to where you are today? Sure. Yeah, so I'm not a scientist by training. And so it's kind of unusual for me to be in a scientific biotech environment, I guess. But I've been drawn to it since I was very young. And my very earliest part of my careers have always been associated with the biotech industry, even starting off with medical diagnostics and then going into, you know, protein therapeutics and small molecules and then back to protein therapeutics. And here I am in a gene therapy company. But I, I really am interested in the healthcare field and I want to help contribute to a healthier society. And I really believe that personally, I believe that I want us to be able to develop therapeutics that have pure potential. And that's why I'm interested in the space that I'm in today. But like I said, I'm not a scientist by training. I, I did start out with quite a bit of, of science earlier in my undergrad career, but I decided I didn't want to work in the laboratory for the rest of my life. So I took a slightly different path and studied Spanish uh, and continued following biology and chemistry. And then ironically, the very first position I had when I graduated, my undergraduate degree was working in a laboratory. So go figure. But uh, several years later, my career path has been a very kind of windy one, uh, marked by opportunity. And, you know, of course, you know, I've, I've tried to work as hard as I can. And I've been very fortunate along the way. I've had some really fantastic early mentors and supporters and advocates. I'm happy to talk about a little bit more about that later, too. Awesome. No, that sounds great. And I think this is a really important conversation because I think we're here advocating for lab ops professionals, but I think it really shines a light that, you know, it doesn't always have to be just science or just business. I think, you know, the crossover and both sides bring a lot of valuable insights and mentalities. So I think it's just really important to to shine a light on that. So can you just like dive a little bit more into the specific work that you're doing I mean, corporate strategy and what that really actually means. I feel like it's one of those titles that, you know, is very broad. So can you just tell us what you actually do? That's right. Yeah. And thanks. You're not the only person who's asked that. It it can be a little bit nebulous because every company is all different. So I lead up corporate strategy and business development at Akros. And from the corporate strategy side, it's really about helping us make the right decisions. And a lot about what strategy really is, is not so much what to do. It's also what not to do. And it's about how to frame up those trade-offs so you can make informed decisions about where we should really focus, where we can add value, where we can have a, a sustainable competitive advantage, you know, versus uh, follow an easy, maybe an easier or more well-marked track. So I've done a number of different things since I came in, in the company to sort of help set up some of that decision-making infrastructure. And on the business development side, uh, and this is where the two are related, it's really all about value creation at the end of the day. So with business development, it's really about sort of telling our story to potential collaborators and strategic partners to see if there's a good fit with the technologies and capabilities they have. 
with our vision, what we're trying to accomplish in this space. And so business development, just the same as any other company, is really about having those conversations with companies on the outside with whom there might be a good strategic fit and a way for us to accelerate what we're doing and find synergies. It's not just about money and financing because, you know, you can find money in other ways, right? But this is really about finding the right kind of strategic fit. So it's knowing how to drive those discussions with, you know, the company internally, as well as the companies that we're talking to externally to, to explore those avenues. Yeah. And that, I mean, that's so important for any pharmaceutical company these days. You know, I feel like there's a lot of companies out there. And so making sure that you have the right fit is is so important um, for the success of the organization. On the scientific side, can you talk a little bit more about what the company is doing to accelerate drug discovery and development? And then maybe antidotally, you know, how are the ops teams impacting that and and really helping that acceleration? Sure. So we are a precision genetic medicines company uh, focused on sensing neural hearing loss. And this is different than, for example, conductive hearing loss, which is, you know, failing to sort of transfer the vibrations within the sound waves over into the inner ear. What we're really focusing on is how those those waves are, are translated through the fluid compartment of the inside of the inner ear and actually converted into an electrical signal that the brain can interpret as sound or speech or music or whatever that is. So there are uh, a number of different monogenic uh, causes for people who have sensory neural hearing loss, and we're looking to uh, pursue those uh, and, and essentially use a gene transfer. So it's an uh, AAV-mediated gene transfer for our initial, our first uh, lead, lead candidate to be able to restore a functional copy of that gene so people will be able to translate what their ear is sort of trying to get through to the brain because it's falling apart at that last step. So scientifically, that's that's what we're doing, but we're also building out a platform that can be used across multiple different types of inner ear conditions. So in terms of how we deliver that, what capsids are we using, how are we getting into the right cells, and are we avoiding cells that we don't want to get into, that sort of a thing. Uh, and I'll be honest, the ear is a fascinating space. I've learned a lot you know, from my colleagues. I really kind of like it. It's almost a perfect place to study gene therapy because it's separate. Yeah, you know, It's very compartmentalized the rest of the body. And then from, you know, the laboratory side of it, you know, um, gene therapy, as well as a lot of other areas, it's, it's very complex and it requires very specific skill sets, as you probably know. And these skill sets, you know, range from the actual work with the vectors, you know, in-house, uh, being able to dose animals, uh, being able to take those cells out, do histopathology, see what's going on, do the gene expression, uh, as well as manufacturing. So we also have a pilot lab and some people have to be able to be you know, do our own GMP manufacturing internally as well. That's another really key piece. And so, you know, we try to focus on what are those really key skill sets that are difficult to find, but so critical to have internally and have at least a critical mass of those those various skill sets. We do use outside partners, of course. You can't scale everything as a small company, right? Can't have always have everything we want, but that we try to focus on what are the those really key critical core skills that help us do what we do best. You know, we want to have a leadership position in the space. So one question that I have for you, Jay, is, you know, what are the common struggles that you have seen in drug development and how you, your team, your organization tackled those issues? You know, um, when a biotech industry has, you know, so many divisions, but just if you want to just mention a few of those. Sure. Uh, well, I think one of the common areas that companies struggle with, and I think everyone does, is portfolio strategy is you know, what are the right assets? What are the right programs to pursue? Uh, and sometimes that means you have to put something down or slow something else down or hold off on that until maybe the biology is more clear. So of understanding what to do there is being able to get a cross-functional team together, 
get a, a bird's eye view, a cross-functional bird's eye view of the program, what we know, what we don't know, and understanding it all the way through to, you know, what is the unmet medical need here that we're trying to address? Do we have a clear view of the biology? Do we know how we could tackle this problem? And if we don't know all of those things yet, then sometimes those programs need to spend some more time on basic biology, right? Uh, discovery biology research versus, okay, I think this one is ready to move into, let's put a candidate you know, together and let's run it through some animal studies, higher species studies. So it's just trying to understand like sometimes those, what are the criteria? What are the stage gates that you use to know, you know, this one's going to make it, this one is not going to make it. And in some cases, you can even have slightly different criteria because you might have a higher bar for something if uh, it's a more competitive space, for example, right? Uh, if you know that someone is, is in the same space or two people, three people are in the same space, maybe someone that's technically ahead of you today, you have to make sure that you're going to be able to come to market with a better product at the end of the day. It's very important to gene therapy, especially in the rare disease space. Uh, to have a better product, uh, you've got to be uh, one of the first, if not the first, to market. So having those kinds of criteria and stage gates set up is really, really important having an understanding of how we can move quickly. I talked a little bit about some of the things that we do internally. So making those decisions about what studies we're going to run internally versus what we'll use an outside partner for, that's really important too. Uh, so the teams have to make those decisions, right? And trying to think about what else might be, it's sort of important to mention. I think that the other thing that companies, especially smaller ones, you know, and, and Acruis is in that bucket, even though we're a public company, we're still small, we're 100 people. We don't have unlimited resources. And we have to decide how to grow in a sustainable way that's going to allow us to focus on our key priorities first and foremost, right? But not at the complete expense of the future pipeline of the company. So there's always these trade-off decisions we have to make about what to fund and at what levels, you know, where to add account, where not to get that sort of thing. So follow-up of that is, you know, lab operations is, you know, key part of the biotech pharma industry. You know, they are in the background, they're helping scientists do their work so that scientists don't have to worry about where their supplies are coming in. What do you think that you have seen or heard that can make a difference in lab ops? Because they are somewhat in the background. I am coming from that background. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Sometimes, you know, managers, um, they're also figuring out how lab ops can get me involved. So I just want to get your thoughts on that. Sure. Yeah. And I think, uh, well, I mean, these days are especially interesting too, right? We have a lot of supply chain issues. Um, so I think our group has had to be extremely creative. Um, we've even had to move things around between CROs and CVMOs that we've used to say, we need this to come back to us. We need this one to go over there. So they've had to really manage very, very tight inventories. Uh, we've had to look really far ahead. So not only being creative with sort of those, how to move things around and get them into the right place at the right time, but being really proactive and thinking about, do we have enough uh, of an inventory or considering the lead times and how those may be changing and, what are the critical things? You know, so for example, a ghost has its own uh, proprietary delivery device that we use to deliver the vector uh, to the patients uh, into the inner ear. And that's all custom made. And so some of these, um, we started seeing, you know, really increasing lead times for some of these things. And we had to get ahead of that and say, you know, we don't need, uh, we need not only what we need to make for, let's say, the next batch that's going to be used for this phase one study or this non human primate study. But let's think about if the lead time is six months or 12 months for some of these things, we need to be putting together a forecast that goes out further than that, right? So being proactive and seeing where those problems might occur so you don't end up in a situation later where you don't have a key reagent or a key component or something that's going to hold up you know, things. And I'll be honest, years ago, many, many years ago when I was in the lab myself, this is one of the things that I started to do 
as a lab technician was to communicate with the planning group. The planning group was the one that sort of took the forecast from marketing, say, here's the sales forecast, here's how many units we need to make of each product. And I was always telling them, look, we're making product A, we're, we're using three units of this raw material and we're buying them in units of 10. So there's no way to make uh, that work without wasting at least one of these. Uh, so it started to get into thinking those things through ahead of time and then communicating to the part of the organization that had to understand that. And in my case, that was, I had to talk to the materials requirements planning group who had the buyers and the planners. Uh, after doing that for a while, they just said, Jay, maybe you should come work for us in the planning group because it seems like you know how all of our products are made and what goes into them and the right quantities to buy things in so that we're, we're more efficient. And that was an opportunity that just came up and I, I went into it. Um, and that, that sort of started my career path outside the lab, to be honest. What would you say the biggest lesson that you learned in your career path and what advice would you give to listeners? And I'm going to come back to the earlier point that you mentioned about, um, you know, having good mentors, but this is sort of the first part of that. It's just to, you know, what the biggest lesson that you have learned? Um, there's been a lot of them, I'll be honest. It's hard to pick just one. Uh, but maybe I could pick a couple from different points in, in my career. One time, uh, relatively earlier in my career, I was managing a group of folks. I was the youngest and I was their boss. Uh, I had to get over that. That was a little tricky for me because I was worried that it was a little bit of imposter syndrome, right? You know, are they going to understand that this is just going to work and are they going to respect me? That sort of a thing. And, you know, learning how to build a team like that when we're each contributing at how we do in our own special ways mm-hmm. um, and getting the team to work really well together. And then even in that early team, there was one member who was really struggling, really, really struggling a lot. And, you know, together the team and I were working to improve the situation and eventually the most senior member of the team came to me and said, yeah, it's just not working out. We're, we're, we're fixing this person's work constantly. Um, is there something we can do here? And I remember talking to my boss, uh, who was a fantastic mentor at the time, and had a conversation about this and decided that the best thing to do was to help manage this person out of the organization. It's a really difficult thing. I hadn't even hired someone yet in my career. Now I was already working to, to let someone go. And I struggled with that a lot. But at the end of the day, after we got through it, that person went on to have a, a good career in an area that really matched that person's skill sets. And the team was so thrilled. Um, we became more efficient and, and stronger together as a team. We didn't even need to replace the headcount, right? So we found more efficient ways to work together, you know, you know as, a, as a unit. And we actually ended up saving money and, and being happier about that. So that was a really, really tough lesson for me to learn at the beginning was that how to look at through that business lens, what's right for the company, talk about it with the right people, talk with people that you trust, uh, make the right decision. And I remember when I came through the other side of that, uh, my boss told me at the time, said, you know, you really had a, uh, the word she used was mitzvah. You really had a mitzvah there. That was a, it was really a, a key point in your career. And um, this was, this was Abby Selnaker, uh, who was very influential in that early part of my career. And uh, one of the best bosses I've ever had. Later in my career, I was working with a uh, with my boss and it was career development season. So people were writing career development plans and I put together my plan. So I thought about this for, I don't know, an hour or two. And I wrote together, you know, here's what I want to do this year, next year, and the year after. And, and you know, I, we uh, sat across the table and I gave it to him and he said, you know, Jay, this is, um, like, I hate to tell you this, but this is a nice set of goals for two or three years. This is not a career development plan. This sort of tells me what you hope to achieve in the next couple of years. But he said, you know, when, when you think about your career, uh, but what you really should be thinking about is so think all the way through to your retirement day. And when you're, you're there, you're looking around the room, people are throwing this party for you. Who's there? 
who's at your party? How did you get to that point? How did those people that are there in that room help you along the way? How did you help them? And then what were those sort of key steps that, that got you? It's like, I guarantee it's not the job you're doing today. You're not going to be retiring from this job. Um, so, you know, essentially we tore up what I had written because uh, it was basically junk. It was just basically a set of goals for the next couple of years. And I had to think about it, you know, from the end all the way back here. And, you know, it's nebulous in the middle. It's not, a, like I said, a, a perfect straight line earlier. Uh, my career took a very kind of fine path, but it was, it was a really good exercise for me to think about it in that way. And I think I got a lot out of that. And that was a really key lesson think about how I can drive my own career and not just wait and hope that something's going to happen. Uh, and I can't just keep doing what I'm doing and, and get to where I want to get. So this may apply to lab ops and this could apply to anybody, right? If someone is looking for a mentor or coach, they can come in in unlikely places. What would you say some of the key points to look out for? Because people tend to focus on the department that you're in or the group that you're in. But um, what advice would you give to someone who's looking for a mentor or a coach that they never had that opportunity so that, you know, they can sort of ask around, have a conversation to see if that's a good fit? Yeah. You know, there are all kinds of coaches and mentors out there, and the really good ones are hard to find. Uh, they really are. Uh, people who, personally, I feel it's, it's people have a skill for this. Uh, they have a natural tendency to want to help people to coach people. And, and there's usually a reason for that. It makes them happy. It makes them fulfilled. Someone did that for them is another you know thing that I've noticed too, is that you know people who feel fortunate to have arrived where they are in their career, at the stage they are in life, are very often willing to give back. And you make a really good point about not just looking inside your division, your department, because it, sometimes it's, to be honest, it's nice to have a neutral zone in the buffer. You know, someone who you can talk to who isn't trying to manage you in addition to other people and they don't want to sometimes give an unfair advantage to one person in their group. But, you know, I would tell, you know, people to look for look for folks who have that. Geez, it's hard to describe it, but it's almost like a parenting set kind of skill set of someone who's nurturing, someone who really cares about your development, someone who's going to, you know, be a really good listener, but someone who's going to push you outside your comfort zone too. So you're going to have to trust this person, you know, to be able to understand, you know, who you are, what you're doing and, and what you need to succeed and your, how that fits with your skill sets. And they're not going to just tell you that you're doing great all the time. Right. So I would tend to look for folks who have a team uh, that seems very satisfied, happy, working together, really good camaraderie, someone who drives a good culture from the top uh, and someone who aligns with your values. That's going to be another key thing because it's so you have that respect together. Uh, you might have totally different backgrounds, different viewpoints, but if your values are similar, that's going to help a lot. Yeah, and I think making it known uh, also, just to be open about it and tell your your boss, your manager, supervisor, whatever, you know, I, um, I'm looking to develop these certain skill sets or I'm looking to get to this point, you know, and I'm looking to speak to people who might be able to help me with that as a coach or mentor. Don't be afraid to have that conversation because they may know someone who, who has exactly what you need and be happy to do that you know, before you make that connection. I love that. I love the focus on on people, right? Because we get in science a lot of times we're all about outcomes and technology. But I think at the end of the day, right, it's all about people. I love the way you said it. You know, at the end of your career, who's gonna show up at your party? You know, it's it's all about people. And I think that's a great place to leave it. You know, great advice. I think that it could apply to lab ops, but also just anybody. I think that's just wonderful advice. So so thank you so much for sharing that. Oh, my pleasure. I did want to just like follow up one one last time and give people an opportunity to follow your work and, and 
get to know you a little bit more after this podcast. Um, where can people connect with you? Where can they find out more about what you're doing? How can they how can they track you down if they wanted to know Jay better? <laughs> <laughs> well, obviously, the two easiest places are probably LinkedIn and the company website, akuos.com. Uh, you know, I'm, I'm out there on LinkedIn. I'm happy to connect with people who have, you know, similar interests and, and similar values or want to chat about different things. It doesn't have to be about business. You know, we all work together in this in this industry. I think it's a good thing to, to help each other out when we can. And on online as well, you know, so at, at, uh, at Equos.com, I, I really look forward to we, when we, you know, make press releases, make public announcements about what we're doing. So we just released our, our most recent quarterly earnings and there's there's some good information in there. We, as a public company, you know, there are certain times and places where we release key information. Uh, but I think we've done a pretty good job at being pretty open about what it is that we're doing. And so folks can, you know, come and follow the company or, or see, see what I'm up to. Uh, I don't post a lot on LinkedIn, to be honest, but I do connect with folks and, and take conversations offline, things like that. So don't look for me to be a prolific poster or anything. But like I said, I'm happy to connect with folks have offline conversations. Awesome. So I'm just going to spell out that website because it's a challenging word. So it's uh, A-K-O-U-O-S.com for anybody who's looking for it. Um, And we'll also post that in the show notes for everybody. Jay, thank you so much. We've really enjoyed the conversation. Krisha, thank you for joining us as well. And we look forward to following you and all of your success. Oh, thank you very much. It's my pleasure to be here. Thank you, Jay. Thank you, Samantha. Thanks. Thank you for tuning in to this episode of the LabOps Leadership Podcast. We hope you enjoyed today's guests. For show notes, resources, and more information about LabOps Unite, please visit us at labops.community slash podcast. This show is powered by Elemental Machines. This episode was brought to you by the Outcomes Rocket Network. We hope you enjoyed it. If you did, make sure you leave us a rating and review, subscribe, and let us know what you're looking for.